0: Good afternoon. Thanks for tuning in today or streaming. And thanks also for being part of last week at WCBN and our annual fundraiser. Thank you for your donations, for your support, for your messages too. My favorite is from Stephanie Carpenter. You may know her as poet and former living writer's engineer. Stephanie emailed in. I'd like to include a special note of thanks to T and Living Writers, as well as Tex and The Down Home Show. They are wonderful, and I truly value the hard work and joy they put into their shows every week. Thanks. Keep up the good and weird programming. Steph Carpenter. I love that. Thank you, Steph. And thank you, everyone. You are the WCBN community, and we are so grateful for you. Thank you so much. And now for Living Writers, Today with Diane Seuss. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.
1: I say maybe Maybe I'm in love with you I say maybe
0: In good afternoon you've got living writers and i'm t hetzel today i'm so happy to be talking with diane seuss via technology joining me today we've got diane's latest book frank sonnets out now with gray wolf press diane welcome to living writers
2: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to you
0: and see where we go. I am absolutely thrilled uh, <laughs> today for the, to have this time with you and to this chance to talk. Diane, oh, just to fill out the picture where, cause we're, we're talking via technology. Where are you speaking to us from?
2: <laughs> I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, that I taught for many years at Kalamazoo College here, and uh, as as their writer in residence, uh, one kid thought that meant they actually made me live there <laughs> and like chained me to a wall and made me write. But um, no, but I um, I was in St Louis teaching at Washington University when the pandemic hit, and so I came back to my house here in Kalamazoo to ride it out.
0: And then are you, are you still teaching remotely? So at Washington university or.
2: I finished
0: my semester
2: there. I was a visiting uh, professor. And so now I'm just kind of, um, I have a Guggenheim this year. That's great.
0: Congratulations. I know.
2: Unbelievable. And it's wonderful because I can survive and um, and I'm working on on my next project.
0: Would you mind if we talked about that later on too? Or, oh, that's or fine. Do you feel, yeah. is it,
2: okay. Okay. It's Maybe not it like will it, help me with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that would be that would be brilliant. That would be. <laughs> Diane, before we get before we get going with a conversation, I'll I'll read the the bio on the back of this beautiful book of yours out now with gray wolf you must have it in your hand now too right you have it yeah i love even the the feel of it the heft the the architecture of the book it's square square yes it's it's built like i am
2: actually (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> me too where we're, we're cl- closer to the ground we have more i don't yep. know we can yeah we're fierce we can be fierce not, in that way not as <laughs> not as far to fall um and in the
2: middle there's a fold out like a center fold yes um, yeah and on one side is a, a piece by me and on the other side is a, a piece by my son um who's kind of central to a lot of the poems. So
0: And that's yeah, Dylan. I,
2: I too love yes, Dylan. I love the feel of the book and um yeah the heft. I feel like I I really wrote something here. And I love the cover photo too.
0: Who's a friend of yours?
2: Yes, this is Mickle. Um we grew we were raised in the same small town in rural Southwest Michigan, and, uh, we, we had a very complex connection. Uh, at one point he moved to San Francisco and this was in the early eighties and he got sick during the AIDS epidemic and he died, um, from AIDS just oh. before the cocktail was really available.
0: I'm so and, sorry. um,
2: so yeah, um, it it was a real loss to uh, many people, including me. But um, he's sort of the one of the spirit guides in a lot of my work, but especially this book.
0: Like more so than folks like Emily Dickinson or, because mm. you kindly shared a beautiful piece that you've written, "Restless Herd." Yeah. With me, and so I've, that I feel like there's different touchstones or spirit guides, or like, like Conrad Hilberry yes, uh, as well. But but Con this... Con was
2: um, my first mentor. He showed up in in Niles, Michigan, where I was raised as a poet in the schools, and I lived in the township and went to an even more rural high school. And he had read something I had submitted to a contest I didn't really understand. And he came to my high school to meet me. And um, we he looked at other poems and we did a reading together. And he began to send me books and got me money to go to college. So, I mean, there is no me without him. And... Yeah, I have a series of mentors and then also writers from the past like Dickinson and Keats and in this book, Frank O'Hara yes. um, and others who I feel a connection with, often a a complex connection, not just, not a sentimental co- connection. And then I have my dead, um, like Mikkel, like, my dad, who died when I was seven, um, many other people who passed, and uh, they too are guides. So I never feel alone in my work. I don't think I could do it without all of those spirits
0: coming in. Is it also feeling as if the spirit is also some, some kind of energy as well? With yes with when the, yes. with in the moment of of when you're drafting to Diane is that
2: especially yeah that, i was thinking about somebody asked on twitter the other day uh, to other writers when do you when are when you're not working on poems what are you doing when you when you get away from poems and i thought about that question and i thought i'm always working on poems um if not drafting then uh, just thinking about it. And I don't think that was always the case. It's grown more the case um, as I've grown. Uh, and so um, they're always with me. And I guess, especially when I'm kind of cooking on the page, I feel that energy or I feel some sort of guidance. Um, the first poem in the book, in fact, uh was, you know, I came to it so serendipitously and Frank O'Hara kind of showed up in the poem. (laughs) I was writing it in my head and I, I thought I liked his work, but I didn't know a whole lot about it, but there he was. And so I started reading more and boy, you know, it ends up the title of the book is Frank. Yes. but he showed up. I didn't summon him.
0: Diane, would you mind reading the first poem, then? Sure. Um,
2: yeah, and it it happened as, exactly as as you'll hear it here. And I'll I'll tell your listeners none of these poems are long, so you don't need to run away. They're all fourteen lines. <laughs> <laughs> So I was I was in Washington State at a residency and I drove to a place called Cape Disappointment. And this poem comes out of that experience. I drove all the way to Cape Disappointment, but didn't have the energy to get out of the car. Rental, blue Ford Focus. I had to stop in a semi-public place to pee on the ground. Just squatted there on the roadside. I don't know what's up with my bladder. I pee and then I have to pee and pee again. Instead of sightseeing, I climbed into the back seat of the car and took a nap. I'm a little like Frank O'Hara, without the handsome nose and penis and the New York school and Larry Rivers. Paid for a day pass at Cape Disappointment thinking hard about that long drop from the lighthouse to the sea. Thought about going into the ocean medical center for a checkup, but how do I explain this restless search for beauty or relief?
0: Thank you, Diane. Yeah. Wow. Those, um, (laughs) those it's, I feel those last lines just open into everything that's to come here
2: yeah i think so i after i uh thought that poem and then got back to my little cabin and wrote it down and i saw oh it's 14 lines it's in 14 lines i could do sonnets um it it very much became the opening marker for this book I knew it had to be the first poem. Um, you know, that it sort of sets, it sets all the terms. It provides the DNA of the whole book.
0: And so was this the poem that was the first, and then the others came after, because the the they emerged from the, the, the DNA, like within? Or were some of these in drafts in other shapes or forms and... And then you were able to see how they were part of this, this. Mm. That's a good question because you nailed
2: me here. Um, There are a couple poems in that first section that were in, not in sonnet form. And I messed with them and turned them into sonnets because I did think they belonged here. And I had, I had written them just before this poem. And then the, the big poem that's on the fold out in the middle of the book that it is 14 lines but it's like real wide (laughs) because (laughs) it's a it it started as a a piece of flash nonfiction or flash memoir yes but it really seemed important to this book and so i i made it into 14 lines but unfortunately it stretched i love that Yeah, me too. I love it now, and I love it that my press uh, and my editor, Jeff Schatz, said, "Yeah, we
0: can work with that." Um, and, you know, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a, it's a curious thing to have in a book of poems, and sometimes they're, I, I imagine the presses are like it's just great that we're getting the book of poems out <laughs> no, <we don't. laughs> you now in a way I'm exactly. always grateful I mean I'm always <laughs> grateful when there's a new book of poems in the world so yes hats off to them but I loved this is it a fold out and then indeed it was a fold out and I know this sounds so so geeky <laughs> to be suddenly so excited about but there's it matters with how how the poem looks on the page as well because that's part oh, of what yeah. you're you're up to with these right with the 14 yes. lines
2: and I love that they span the the breadth of the page often or usually so and they the type is even bigger um than a you my usual books of poems so because they're sonnets and because they are only 14 lines it gave the designer more space to kind of chunk the whole thing up Um, they make the book wider for instance to hold those wider lines and you know the the sonnets really vary from um, none of them are shakespearean traditional shakespearean sonnets some have most have some sort of gesture toward meter or rhyme most have a couplet most have a volta which is kind of a turn of thought in in the mm. the guts or the belly of the sonnet um but some of them if uh are almost like little somebody said the other day they'd read the whole thing and it struck them like they were all little novellas um yeah so some are very much like little fourteen lines of prose and storytelling so I, I thought to sustain a book that is a kind of memoir and that is all in the same form, I really have to stretch the boundaries of what that form can do. And um, so you'll see from really um, rhymy and almost nursery rhymey sounding ones, two, two poems that sound like little monologues or, and then poems that sound like, um, storytelling, there's a wide range.
0: And I love that idea of the space to it that you were, you were speaking of, because then there's even space between each of these lines as well. Yes. Um, and, and I hadn't realized how much I liked that even in the reading of it until you mentioned it. And I thought, yeah, that's all part of it.
2: Yeah, I, I tried setting them up on the page, single spacing them and it didn't look right. It, they were crammed. And so much of that is just instinct, intuition, um, a feeling in your body. You know, I, use, I used to tell my students that the, the first thing you encounter with a poem uh, is, is the body of the poem, like you encounter the body of a person and so um, so you encounter the look of the poem, the body, before you know the poem and, and what's in it. And that's, it's like the first impression of a person when you're walking down the street. And so when I look at a Whitman poem, for instance, and, you know, this huge swaggering wide line, I know something about that poem, before I ever read, I celebrate and sing myself and what I assume you shall assume. Like I know the ego and the the friendliness and the generosity of the poem just by looking at it. And so every poem, if you see a really skinny poem, um, that tells you something really compressed. Yes. Um, For me, these poems were an act of compression even though they're wide line, because they're only 14 lines. And most of my books have been more free verse than that. So um, it was in my last book, which is called Still Life with Two Dead Peacocks and a Girl, (laughs) which was (laughs) centered a lot on still life painting, um, that I first turned to something like a sonnet. Um, I did a sequence of fourteen line poems that were not rhymed, all about a still life painting, and every line was seventeen syllables, like mm. a haiku.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: hmm That's crazy making. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <And> <laughs> but yet, there's You were the one that did it.
2: <laughs> I I did it to myself. I know. <gasps> like a lot of crazy making things. I love that. Um, <laughs> but um All of those givens, it turns out, are good for the imagination. The imagination sort of of has to leap to the challenge. Whereas, you know, if you say to somebody, write a poem about nature. I mean, my God, it's just so open-ended. It freezes people. But if you say, try something about that tree you loved when you were a kid, um, you know, uh, some tree that just held your imagination. That's, that's easier. And then if you say, and write that poem, um, so that the lines are no wider than an inch, um, you know, and and it, it has to be 15 lines. That sounds like a drag or it sounds hard, but when you have to sort of rise to the occasion of those kind of um, Nettle some givens. The imagination it, it distracts the analytical mind so that the imagination can kind of spring forward.
0: Yes, and pour um, pour into it.
2: Yes. Yep. Yeah. So having to do, having to write in seventeen syllable lines in a fourteen line poem about art and art and still life's intersection with my rural upbringing. Wow, that's a lot of givens. But it ended up really feeling good and working for me. And that's one reason I got hooked and decided to turn to the sonnet for Uh this book.
0: You trusted it in a way, like there was a way that your mind had been already obviously successfully working in it. And then you could, so you loosened it up though, so it wasn't 17 syllables anymore. It had, right, that would be
2: madness, it, wouldn't it? it, it would, if you try,
0: <laughs> but if you try to do a
2: whole book, of, yeah, that would probably kill me. But yeah, it, it it loosened up, and it it you know, there's a lot of things in this book that that it can do with a line.
0: How so, Diane? Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, well, um, there's there's a segment of poems in the book that take place imaginatively speaking in the place where I was raised. And those poems don't use, most of them don't use punctuation. So like the first poem in that sequence begins.
0: Could you read it, Diane?
2: Sure, I like this poem um, and I don't read it very often. The lambs, the lambs this year are dumb but lambs are dumb, their tiny brains, archaic smiles, humans to a lamb are all the same, all rams the same, all ewes are mom, all milk is mine, all lambs are me, all blades of grass, a single blade of grass, incapable of love, unlike a pig who aims to please, who specifies who trots behind as loyal as a dog and kisses like a dog, its tongue astonishingly soft, who grieves when led away, when loaded up, when walked into the marketplace, who die of grief of held too long to get to slaughter weight. Nostalgic for the hills, the mist, the girl, the battered truck she peddled to the barn, the chickens who have no self at all, who yearn as one, who pack the flat terrain as one, who rise as one and fall as one like rain.
0: Thank you, Diana.
2: Yeah, so, you know, there's so much more interest in that poem than in the Frank O'Hara opening poem with sound, um, dumb, lamb, lamb, mom, um, you know, tongue, just those sounds alone and then the rhyming couplet at the end uh, um, self at all who yearns as one, who peck the flat terrain as one, who rise as one and fall as one, like rain. Mm. And so you get that sort of you know, terrain and rain, that perfect rhyme snap that really ends up home.
0: And in this poem, Diane, is there, was there, for the line breaks, because I noticed that when you read it too, sometimes it's not as if it fell, obviously, at the the break of a line. Um, And so was there a syllabic at work or was it, yeah, was there? I wasn't
2: counting syllables, but I had a, a metrical scheme going. The lambs this year are dumb, but lambs are dumb. The lambs this year are dumb, but lambs are dumb. It's get it's close to iambic pentameter. Yeah, their tiny brains, archaic smiles, humans to a lamb are all the same. All rams the same. All ewes are mom. Yeah, yeah. So there's that five stress five unstressed syllables per
0: line and so when you are when you are composing these when you are drafting these poems this to me feels like these lines you were in the sound of it right as you were in the making of yeah it.
2: and a lot of times with a poem like that I walk my dog every day and I'll be walking the dog and I'll think uh You know, the lambs this year are dumb, but lambs are dumb, (laughs) da-da-da-da. You know, I'll kind of start singing it in my mind before I ever hit the page. And like that poem came up, my niece has a farm in Niles, and she might write to me a text or a message and say, the lambs this year are dumb, but lambs are dumb. And I'll hear... Yeah. I'll hear the music in that line and that hooks me.
0: And then your mind plays with it more, the sound.
2: Yeah, and and then the sound gives the gift of the meaning of the poem. So as I followed the sound um it led me to a place where, you know, it's not it's not sort of a um Hallmark movie farm, you know it's a. I don't know. It raises it to archetype somehow. That you know the lambs and the pigs and the chickens. There's a and the loyal um, dog. <laughs> yeah, that and that ultimate. Um, the the ultimate tenderness of things. And the connection between things, you know, the chickens who rise as one and fall as one, like rain. But that, that's a that's a pretty transcendental moment. Um, it's, it's so even though it's just pigs or just lambs or just chickens, the, my the place where I'm from and and those people are kind of the core or the center that everything else spins off of. And so it makes sense that that section is the most, I guess, ear oriented, music oriented. It's the most sort of lyrical part of the book. And there's no I in it, uh, capital I. I'm the witness, I'm the singer, but I'm not a participant. Oh,
0: and what does that
2: mean to you, Diane? Um, well, I haven't lived there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like Faulkner's uh, made up but very real county that many of his novels were set in. It it lives in me as a space in my imagination that is just central to my aesthetics, to my um, self-image, my identity. And it's kind of the, the playground of my imagination. It, from there, everything springs. I mean, that's where, when I was really young, um, you know, we didn't have toys like kids have now. We might have one or two toys but um most of what we had was the the gifts of the landscape so like Mm -hmm. for me milkweed pods are really important and cattails and bogs and cemeteries and snakes you know Mm -hmm. the things of of the land cows And I think, you know, whatever your first landscape was and however you interacted with it, that's just central to how you're made, how you're put together. And then if you're a writer, it's central to the language that you bring to things.
0: And so for you also, is the St. Joseph River part (laughs) of that landscape too? And.
2: Yeah, actually I'm writing an essay about that right now. Really, called Midwestern essay. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um
2: yeah, just about um that river and its hist- its really complicated history. Um and what it what it brought to the colonizers that brought to that place and and the disruption and the violence, and also the commerce and the beauty and um now you know the pollution and the poison um there's so much that river is so much and
0: uh in part of the underground of, railroad too right Diane yes it, the, the it was in the river and
2: yes, Niles was part of the um, underground railroad and, um, and so like every place on the planet, like every place in the U S like every place in Michigan, it just, it's history is really complex and, and not clean. And not you know, not, not simple. And the, the closer I get to it, the harder it is to see. Uh, clearly um the th- the thing I'm working on writing about now is set in that town, and sort of as that town exists in my imagination, and real damage that was done to children there hmm. um, and how to write about that in a way that isn't just oh too invasive or too um so dark that you can't even look at it and how it becomes how it had, has been woven literally woven into the fiber of that place and how people interact with each other
0: the damage to the children because the children grow and are still at yeah. the place
2: Yeah, yeah, and there was an incident um, that was very, that created a great deal of division in the town um, at a daycare center, Um, and it was abuse, and um, some people didn't believe the children, and some people did, and that created this division that still exists today. And relatives of mine were children there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, there's so much complexity around it that I'm just finding it very daunting to, to find a way to in that isn't, that is both truthful and nuanced um without being so devastating that you can't take it in. So that's what I'm working on.
0: And how do you know it's an essay, Diane?
2: Well, this isn't a, th- so this is more a, a big project. Um mm. and I I'm calling it in my mind little epic. Um mm. and my <laughs> one of one of my spirit guides is the Ancient Roman poet Catullus. Oh. And yeah. And Catullus has a poem number sixty-four that is sometimes referred to as a little epic. And it begins with a it it's most of it takes place as a description of this coverlet that is on the bed of a bride. And on the coverlet are sewn images that then become the, the text of the poem that hold the content and the story. And so mm. I'm sort of doing the story of the town on, as it is sewed into this coverlet for a bride who was one of the children. Oof. I know, <laughs> and, and um, I don't know how it's going to look in the end. The first section is going to be actually in the Kenyon Review coming up here pretty soon. Okay. Yeah, but it it's uh, it's daunting, and I I'm still not sure what its shape will be, and it may contain some prose, some essays. I just don't know. I don't yeah.
0: know yet. And so it seems to me that then, so it's, because you talked about having this, the town, the town of Niles is this, and also this has become this imagined space because you're not, not there. You're not living there haven't, yes. for years, right?
3: And yeah. so then
0: this also, this frame of, the 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 project the little epic now this is an imagined person because you're not there isn't a coverlet for this person who's getting married right, right. so so all but these there
2: are oh go oh, on sorry go, yeah
0: well, well I would well I guess what I was trying to say was that these pieces of the imagined um, will allow you to get to because what, what you were saying is just we were talking about the darkness of it all and the right but because there's this this um slight distancing because it isn't connected to the real person then it can become what it is for for more people like you can get to look at that truth closer maybe i'm sorry i'm stumbling all through this i want to hear your thoughts not mine hey listen (laughs)
2: help me man help me I need all the help I can get. Um, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, clear. I really do.
0: Well, the spirit are, guides are working. Project.
2: Yeah, that's my hope. Um, okay, so, you know, every archetype, every god or goddess has, I think, a corollary in the real. And so the the care so yes i am telling this is kind of an epic that is read as you know an ekphrastic um art piece as as a Mm. you know catullus reads this coverlet he he reads and describes the images as a way of telling about the gods and so I thought is this a way that I can kind of read this art object and it it does give me um, the distance to witness but the complicating factor is my whole family is still there and it and all of this has very real consequences for all of us and so I don't want to shove that out of the way in sort of the pretense of remove. And so I think what I'm wrestling with is the speaker herself, that um, I think she's going to try for for a Catullus-like objectivity and, and storytelling, but i don't think she can stay there i think she gets dragged in and becomes less objective and more um, thoughtful and she muses more it has more to do ultimately with herself and the way she thinks about the world than we see in the very beginning so I can't stay with a sort of inertness of an art object. Ultimately, these are people that I love that have been damaged, but who also are incredibly creative in their strategies of survival. And that's what I love about small places. Not that, um you hear my dog. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I love that.
0: Oh what's, it, what's what's your dog's name? His name
2: is Bear, Bear and he looks like one. He's my he's my significant other. Uh, and he's he he's protesting that description but um (laughs) let's see before i totally lose it um yeah it's not that that it's i'm not sentimentalizing or romanticizing that that people are better at survival or coming up with survival strategies there than anywhere else than in you know a city but because they're small you can see the storylines more clearly it uh there's, there's less in the way. At least I can. Uh, and everything is there. I mean, look at Fa- Faulkner again. You know, Faulkner could write, As I Lay Dying, or Life in August, or Absalom. And everything he needed was in the, were in the, you know, was existed in these small places, and these rural settings. So all of the big, this is the, The sort of theme or theory of what I'm working on next is that all of the big um, themes of life um, exist in every place. So every place carries the DNA of the gods and goddesses. So that's what I'm going for.
0: That's if humans are there. This this then it's all there. Yeah,
2: you know. Probably one of my the things that is most important to me, um I just threw my dog a bone
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well done for bear. <laughs> oh, no. oh, he's
2: offended that he that I thought that would shut him up. <laughs> um, <laughs> you think I'm that cheap woman? He'll be um, back. he'll be back <laughs> so uh let's see. Where was I
0: do you know well, would you what well, we you were saying how if because people are in the small towns, the DNA of the gods are there, like wherever that humans yeah. are humaning, <laughs> there will be these 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 stories and these these all these the, the tragedies and also the beauty of yes of it yes,
2: and the beauty of just the quirky ways people survived. It just, it, it amazes me. And the way people construct beauty in their own way. If, you know, people who are poor. I, I just wrote in this essay I'm working on now about my mother, um, after she was widowed at age 32, and she had two kids, and... Um, her parents hadn't allowed her to go to college so she didn't really have a great way to earn a living uh and most of our money had gone to my dad's illness he was sick for from the time he was 29 and so um we didn't have the money for beauty that you buy but she would take jars and put food coloring and water so there might be a jar with red water, and a jar with blue water, and a jar with purple water. And she would put them in the windows.
0: Oh. Yeah. For the light to come through.
2: Yes, yep. And I found them to be magical when I was a kid, and I still would. Uh, yes, but you know that's the you see that that kind of inventiveness and that growing toward something beautiful in it in small places with people without a lot of financial resources, and I just find it really moving. And I I think you you see that. Inventedness everywhere probably but i saw it there and it's my template for for understanding that's why i get so annoyed nowadays um <laughs> by people online who say you know oh i can't stand it because i can't get to the salon and i can't <laughs> buy beauty products and i can't oh. you know and i can't do my um what do people call it where they shop for, for relief? Like, I can't think of the word for it, but you know, where, Oh, like, like shop, rehab. shop.
0: Re- oh yeah. Therapy. Something like shop, re- yeah, retail therapeutic. therapy or something. Retail
2: therapy. Yes. Thank you.
0: You know, I just,
2: you know, the, the class, um, angry class person in me just can't take that stuff um completely and then i i have to kind of lay back on my judgments because everybody does you know we all do what we learn um but it's amazing how you can... al-
0: also though i think some people like what we've been talking about for a while or maybe this whole time diane it's like the people you have you have what you learn and what you're given and what some things sometimes what's done to you right but then yes you also have a way sometimes you can find it yourself sometimes with a spirit guide or sometimes there's a other flesh and blood person that can help you know but you have a chance to think about or question things right so that it's not yes just, we aren't just those things we have a mind yes and imagination, and curiosity. If
2: I had, if I had stayed there, I don't think I would have written. I don't think I would be a writer. Um, and that isn't to say that people who did stay, which is just about everybody I knew, mm. um, are any less. I'm not saying that. Um, I yeah. just needed to not stay. But, you know, I'm not very far. I'm not very far.
0: That's interesting, Um, Diane, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I've been a lot of places. I've lived a lot of places. New York City. Yeah, I lived in New York and Cincinnati and Spain. I've traveled with my work um, and, and spent time all over the country. But this is, you know... This is where I need to be. This is where I need to call home.
0: And and close to it, but not in Niles, not, not in, in a, the yeah. same place.
2: And I mean, this is a really complex issue, but, um, you know, it's a really different place now because of the incendiary political atmosphere of yeah in the country and what that has done in small towns um like like mine it you know it's just really changed the tenor in the conversation and how people talk to each other and i know i couldn't it would be very difficult for me to live with that
0: i diane i i I understand i uh, listening to you i, I have, i've been like in a from a small town in florida and my mom mm. is living with us now during um since like during covid and and her the neighbor put up a, a sign a not a sign a flagpole with a flag f biden at, at oh, and it's God. at the corner of the street and next to where mom would, and, and now thankfully um, you know mom called some neighbors and was like somebody needs to talk to the young man who now owns the house and um, <laughs> just and mm-hmm. and he's he's he has taken it down for at least the time being but it's true there's um and it's also this very uh, oddly uh, a seat of this uh the bible school which is like a a type of religion that is also in this town and and so it's very it's yeah like what you said things are things are really complicated in in america and yeah maybe it's always been there for us in this but it's not it's out more where we can we can reckon with it now i hope yes and
2: we must reckon we must reckon it's just really wrong um i mean i'm i don't have any nostalgia for the past in the place where i'm from and places like it because that there there was so much there there was a kind of ease because so much was covered up um so I don't feel that I can write about those places without doing my own reckoning. Yeah. Anymore, certainly now. And that that just ups the ante and makes it more complicated to to sit in front of the computer and write. Um, and to feel grounded in what I'm trying to get at. I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting over in certain, in certain ways. Really? Yeah, I do. I, um, sort of in this, in the, at, since the last four years, it's, it's remade me and all of us, I think, into a different being. And that being has to figure out how to write a poem. That's freaky, isn't
0: it? It, That feels right, is what I was going to say. It feels like that. uh, That feels right, Diane. Yeah.
2: It's not comfortable, that's for sure. I'm much more comfortable when I'm just. and writing
0: and cooking
2: with with, yeah cooking with the writing
0: that's what you were saying yeah when i'm cooking yeah
2: and it doesn't feel like nothing feels like that now right yes people you can't you can't just do a cooking walk or a cooking trip to the store uh or be with your neighbor in any kind of uh position of of intimacy or closeness so nothing feels natural and you know the cool thing about poetry for me is that it follows you wherever you go and so the place it's followed me is through political strife and violence and uh, a pandemic which Threatens everything I know and and love, including my own body. So you can't you can't cordon poetry off from that. It it has to go with you.
0: And and what are some of the poems looking like now, Diane?
2: Well, um, interestingly, um, one thing that I've been Doing I well every time I I started a new book, I try to do what I haven't done. So um, the sonnets were me saying I'm going to have I'm going to have the super challenge of writing short because I had pretty much written in longer free verse through my other books. Yes. Um, and then now I'm so in love with the sonnet that I, I have to give it away. You can't keep doing the same thing. And so that's why I'm working on an epic. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, what's the opposite of a sonnet? In a lot of ways, a a book length poem. And so um, the stuff I've written toward little epic is um, wide lines and couplets but also, I've been writing about literature as it impacted me as I was a young upstart. Um, <laughs> people, <laughs> people like Colette, the French writer, or yes, um, uh, and I, I, uh, I'm working on a poem about Theodore Retke, the oh, who was this? Yeah. Oh, Michigan, um,
0: our uh, uh, Michigan,
2: Michigan Red Key. Saginaw, yep. and um, I'm—I have a big, like, several-page poem called "Modern Poetry," which is about taking a modern poetry class as oh. a 18-year-old and what that looked like, and what we read, and how it landed for me, and what it became by the end of the poem. I've joined up with a women's literature class at, not at the college where I attended, but at the university in the same town. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as women's literature. I, I didn't know there was a, a woman poet. I was writing poems, but I, I never thought that I could join the party. Mm. And I mean, this was like in the, you know, seventies. Yeah, I'm old. I'm 64, <laughs>
0: and <laughs> that's that's the new 44.
2: Yeah, I keep telling myself that. Um, but this women's lit course was just a absolute eye opener. We read Toni Morrison, we read Audre Lorde, we read um, Plath, we read Sexton. I saw. Oh, I you know these are. These are my people in so many ways. And then one of the women in the class was um, killed by her ex who was stalking her.
0: And then
2: what does literature become? Then what does it become? And that's sort of where the poem ends up. So I'm in... Could you read part of that? Oh, do we have time? Yes. I can... Okay... I know we're getting toward the end here. Yeah. I like to sort of construct myself as sort of a rube or a, or a dumbbell in certain ways who has to learn everything. It was what I'd been waiting. Because I did. And I think. We all do. I'm more interested in being kind of the, not innocent, because I don't believe in innocence, but the, not the hero, but the person who stumbles and has to learn.
0: Mm, Yeah, I understand that.
2: So it was what I, modern poetry it was what I'd been waiting for my whole life, but I wasn't ready for poetry. I didn't have the tools. Rat key. Okay. I appreciated the greenhouse poems and decades later saw his bed, toilet, upright piano in that desolate town where he was raised. Not unlike the desolate town where I was raised. No greenhouse, but the green giant factory where mushrooms grew on cow. Wallace Stevens, I wrote a paper on loneliness in Jersey City, having no clue what he meant by the deer and the dachshund are one and got an A anyway by faking it. So that's just the opening. And then I'll take us to the last two stanzas. So this is after the girl in women's lit is killed. From then on, the class became something else. Stephanie had us over to her house, a damp place in the woods. She roasted a goat and served it to us shredded on blue plates. The books had become more and less important. We spoke of them huddled on the floor by the fire. I remember most of all the bushel baskets of apples and grapes for winemaking, drawing fruit flies. I'm not complaining. It was all more than I deserved. The goat, the greenhouse, the liberated blonde badass on her motorcycle. Sula surfacing Sunday morning, ripe plums, my education.
0: Thank you, Diane. Yeah. Thanks so much. This was fun. Today. I hope. (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) 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 It was fun. And what if you could see me? That's, yeah. (laughs) If we could see each other, you could see that. it's been fun, but I also have some tears in my eyes.
2: <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too.
0: Oh, Diane, this I I have loved speaking with you. Let let's talk again, okay? Let's do it. Yeah, if I ever finish Little Epic, we'll oh, we'll you, have this. Uh, oh, you we'll, will. We'll reconnect. Oh, you will. You will <laughs> today <laughs> on Living Writers, Diane Seuss. Frank, Sonnets, out with Gray Wolf Press. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
3: Welcome back to the Daily Sports Report here on eighty eight point three WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Got a two man show for you all today. My name is Shirley Brigham alongside me, Lucas Vargas. How you doing today, Lucas?
1: Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh crazy that we're back in March. Uh I mean, that's uh to me that's nuts, but you know, we're back. We March, we meet again and uh you know let's let's try let's try it
3: again this year, huh? Let's uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, hopefully we can actually get the tournament off and going. We are going to start with some basketball, but not college basketball. We're going to go to the NBA and talk a little bit about All-Star Weekend coming up. Um, Just the final announcements for, um, I say All-Star Weekend. It's really just All-Star Sunday. Everything's happening in one night. The three-point contest and the skills contest are both going to happen right before the All-Star game, and the slam dunk contest is going to happen at halftime. Um. Out, out of these three like the skills contest the dunk contest and three-point contest i personally feel the skills contest is easily the most fun to watch like the dunk contest sucks now
1: it's an interesting take i mean i was gonna say the skills contest is kind of a joke but
3: really?
1: <laughs> i love i love it it is entertaining i mean depending on the players that get to do it i think uh yeah. i mean you might read the the list here in a minute but it's it, it does get interesting there the dunk contest I mean, this year is going to be underwhelming just because there's no. Yeah, you know, I think a, a significant part of the dunk contest is the atmosphere the, that surrounds it, and that, the
3: athletes, yeah.
1: that just won't that that won't be there this year. Um, uh, so, that, like, that's really unfortunate. But, but uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, I I think it's good that they're doing All Star Weekend. I know that's uh, probably not a popular opinion, but it's part of the NBA schedule. It is part
3: of the the NBA year, and if if they could do it which they can